Well, today we are continuing in series that Norton started us on a couple weeks ago when we kicked off the new year, this series called Against the Grain. If you um, are new to New Denver or you missed the last couple of weeks, um, what Norton's been talking about is a dynamic that I think we can all resonate with, which is this dynamic that happens when we have a goal or we have an aspiration, something that we want to do, and yet there's resistance to us being able to do that. Sometimes that resistance comes from within ourselves. Sometimes the things that we want to do or that we want to pursue, um, our own worst inclinations or worst, worst habits sometimes work against us. So sometimes it's environmental in nature. Sometimes it's the community or the, 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 the people around us that make it difficult. And, and in those moments when we, when we have a goal or an aspiration, something that we want to live out that, that we find resistance to, we have to live against the grain. We have to go against the grain to be able to live out that desire. But today I want to pick up um, on this thread and I want to talk a little bit more and I want to dig a little bit deeper beneath our aspirations or our goals and ask the question, where do these come from? Where are our goals? Where are our desires? Where are we, what we want, what we desire, what we pursue in life? Where does that come from for us? And to talk about that, I think we have to introduce a new word into the conversation. I think we have to talk about our values, what we value. I always like to start with a definition anytime I introduce a word because I want to get us all on the same page. And I just looked this one up on the internet and I actually like the definition. Um, this is what I found. Values <clears throat> are a person or group's principles or standards of behavior. One's judgment of what is important in life. Now, here's what I like about that definition. A few things. <clears throat> Number one, it tells us that values are a judgment. It's something that each person or group has to decide, make a decision about what's most important. All things cannot be equally important. And so we all individually and as a group make decisions, judgments about what's most important to us in life. Second thing I like about this definition is it tells us that values can be both personal, individual, but they can also be contained within a group. Every person has deeply held values, things that they believe that are true about the world, but each group has that as well. This is not a, doesn't have to be a conscious decision. We don't have to think, this is what I value, and this is what... No, these are things that, that often emerge for us. They're often subconscious. And, and thirdly, the third thing I like about this definition is that it connects this idea of values to our behaviors. What we truly value, what we truly believe at the deepest level can be reflected in what we see that we do every day. And sometimes we're not really conscious about those things. Sometimes our, our values drive us in ways to make decisions and to act in certain ways um, that we even we don't fully understand. And when it comes to our values, we know and we're violating them because there's a sense of anxiety. If you're not living according to something that you value, then you're going to start to feel a sense of anxiety, like something's not right. Uh, Norton talked about, like, in order to pursue a goal, we have to have intention, we have to have conviction and we have to have community. That sense of conviction comes from our values. That conviction of should or ought to, what we need to be doing with our time, with our resources, with our energy, with our life, those are all things that are connected to our deepest values, whether we know it or not. So where do these values come from? Where, where do these deepest sense of what's true, what's, what's real, what we believe about what's most valuable in life, where do they come from? Well, that's as different as every story for every person in this room. They emerge for us out of our stories. 
We're all born into a family. Guess what? Families have values, and they're different. You figure that out when you get married, right? Because you marry into a family that often has very different values or different ways of being in the world. And you figure that out, especially around holidays when you all come together. And they start to glass, see some giggles under the masks. Yes, this is a real thing. So families create values. So, so you know, you, you often emerge from a family of origin, and that affects you. Uh, certainly our environment, where we grew up, small town, rural versus urban, you know, there's different values that exist in different cities and different places, different countries um, have values. Our experiences, our unique stories, often the things that happen to us tell us what the world is like and create a deep sense of what's most important inside of us, often, again, subconsciously, even when we don't think about it. And of course, values come from our way of seeing the world through our faith, through our belief about what the world is like. And and this is true for all religions, certainly. Um, Every theistic religion, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all make assertions uh, based on their sacred texts or their deepest held beliefs and traditions about what's real, about what's true, about what's most valuable in life. And atheistic religions, if you're somebody who doesn't believe in God, if you're a secular humanist, if, if you're a Buddhist, you have beliefs about how the world operates. You have values that guide and direct your everyday behaviors, whether you're aware of them or not. When we come to the life of Jesus as followers of Jesus, we find really quickly in the stories of his life that he makes claims and assertions about what's true and about what's most valuable and most real and life. And he calls us into his way of seeing the world. One of the, one of the four stories of Jesus' life in the book of Mark, at the very beginning of, of Jesus' career, his ministry, when he, he's for 30 years lived in relative obscurity in, in this province of Nazareth, but now he's starting to go public. He's starting to teach and travel and, and talk about his values, his view of life, about what he thinks about God. And at the very beginning of that, to announce this new public ministry, Mark tells us that Jesus says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So right here at the very outset, Jesus is making a bold statement announcing that the kingdom of God has come near. It's at hand. So what's he talking about here? Well, we could preach a whole series. We could preach for a whole year talking about what the kingdom of God is about. This is the thing that Jesus talked more than anything, uh, more, more about than anything else. But if I were to try to summarize it or give you a, just a, maybe a brief way of thinking about this, What Jesus is saying is that the time is coming where God's values, his priorities, are coming to earth. And people will adopt those. And as they do, God's reign on earth will become a reality. And this will impact the way that people relate with him and with one another. And it will create an abundant, overflowing kind of life that God intended for humanity from the very beginning. Jesus is saying that possibility is at hand. It's near. And then he gives a directive. He says, repent. Now, that's a bit of a word, that's a word that's picked up a bit of baggage over the years. So I need to explain what Jesus actually meant by this. I put the little Greek word in there, metanoite, which you can get the, what, our word metamorphosis out of. It just means change. 
Change what? Change the way that you think. Change the way that you look at life in response to some new piece of information. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand and you need to change the way you see the world, what you value, what you prioritize, what you think is most important in light of this reality. Jesus is calling people to follow him and to take on his view of what's true, what's real, and what's most valuable, what is the greatest priorities in life. Jesus says that he wants to redefine our deepest values, the things that we hold most dear, the things that orient and guide the way that we live our lives. So what does that mean? That means when you come to Jesus, you submit or give up your own personal judgments about what's true and right and most valuable, and you trust his authority. And that's the deal. For if you're here today, and like me, you've made a decision about who Jesus is, that you believe that he is your savior, and you've chosen to follow him, then we give that up. We give up that sense of autonomy in order to follow him. We take on his greatest values, his priorities of what's most important. Now, if you're here and you're not really sure what you believe about God or Jesus, you're off the hook on this. You don't really have to Look to him as your authority. But the rest of us, that's the deal. That's what it means to come to faith in Jesus. It's not just to believe in him abstractly. It's to believe that what he says about life and about relationships and our work and everything is true and should reorient our lives around what he has to say. But here's the deal. Just for those of you who are not quite sure yet, not ready to submit to that authority. Here's the trade Jesus makes. He says, if you just trust me, follow me, believe that what I say is most valuable and what's most true, I make you a promise. Your life will be so much better. You will experience an abundant, flourishing life that will begin now and extend into eternity. That's the exchange. But you have to trust me. You have to reorient your life. You have to repent. Change your mind about what you think is most important and trust and believe in me. And here's the deal. If you're not quite there yet, In my experience, my observation, we are all, myself included, terrible judges of setting our values to pursue what's most important and most valuable in our life. We're terrible at judging what we should value and how we should pursue what makes us happy, what fulfills us in life. Sometimes we do the most beneficial and good and positive things out of warped values that lead us in the opposite direction of what we want. Somehow when we talk about, you know, this idea of change, you know, our body always comes up, right? Like how we eat, how we exercise. So many of us are, are so obsessed over new diets and the way we eat and, and working out incessantly because we're just so desperate that if we could just lose a little bit of weight or finally get a little more definition in our muscles, uh, get that six pack of abs, then maybe, then maybe we'd feel better about ourselves, we feel more of a sense of confidence, that our identity would be stronger, that, that maybe then we would be able to have a relationship. People, people would look at us more positively. We root our identity in what people think about us, and it leads us not to freedom, but to slavery. Jesus wants to free us from that reality, from pursuing those warped values in that way. 
Some of us, we work incessantly because we want to accomplish more and more and more. We want to advance in our career. We want to get a promotion. We want to make more money because we feel like if we, if we could just get a little bit more status, a little bit more respect, then we'd feel better about ourselves. We feel like if we could get just a little bit more income, if I could make a little bit more money, we could get a little bit nicer house, we'd have a little bit more financial margin, we'd be able to take a vacation maybe once in a while and, and I wouldn't be so stressed and I'd be able to give the kids and my wife and things that, that they want and they would be happy and I would feel better and I would just feel more content and relieved and it's just not true. The more we get, the more we want. It's never quite enough. When we live our lives from that place of valuing possessions or root our identity and status or in how accomplished we are in our work, it's just hollow. And Jesus, he wants to free us from that. And again, this isn't just a personal individual thing. Jesus doesn't just call individuals. He calls whole communities. When we see at the beginning of, at the end of Jesus's life, as he's ready to ascend and he's he's gathering his first followers who he's called to live in this way together, he gives them a mission to go out and share this good news of the kingdom of God with other people and invite them into living the way he's taught them to live. They're to gather people together and to live together in this way. The church is born as these first followers of Jesus gather together and remind one another of the things that Jesus taught, call one another, form one another to begin living in this way. And right away, you can see the church hits resistance. It didn't, I mean, right out of the gate. It's not like, you know, there was a strong period and then we fell off. No, we've always struggled with this. We've always struggled with with giving up our values and our beliefs about what's true and what's right and what will benefit us most or lead us to the, the best version of our life. So when you read through the New Testament, when you read through the writings of Paul and Peter and James and the leaders of the New Testament, what you see is they're struggling to try to help people figure this out. How do you help people to transform and exchange their values, which are warped and leading them in the wrong direction, for Jesus's values, which will lead them in the right direction? It's been a problem since the very beginning of the church, and it's still a challenge for us today. Who want to orient our, those of us who want to orient our lives as individuals and as communities around following the way of Jesus, we have to try to figure out how do we do that? How do we change or transform our deepest convictions and beliefs and values about the world? I want to take a look at a verse from the Apostle Paul in a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome that I think gives us some helpful insight into thinking about how the, first, the, early, the early church and the first leaders thought about this And I think it gives us insight for how to think about it today. So this is from the book of Romans, starting in chapter 12. Now, we've we've touched on this a little bit. Norton referenced this book a couple weeks ago when he talked about this dynamic that even Paul recognizes the things that I want to do in life, often I don't do. That that often I find that what I set out as a goal or set out as 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 an aspiration, I find there's this thing working inside of me against it. And Paul laments this, that this is true for himself, and it's true for all of us who set out on this journey following Jesus. And he, he, he hits this point to say, who will save us from this reality? And he says, thanks be to God that Jesus has already saved us from this reality, that this isn't about getting it right. It's not about doing everything the right way. It's not about, about executing in a way to earn God's love or favor, that we have it already because of Jesus, what he's done for us. We're already accepted by God before we even begin 
this journey, we begin from a place of acceptedness. We begin from a place of love. And so a few chapters later in chapter 12, Paul jumps in and he says, therefore, therefore, in light of this reality that we are accepted and loved by God before we do anything, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in the preceding chapters, Paul has been extolling the virtues that we don't have to get it all right. We don't have to do everything correctly. And now he's saying in light of that reality, because of God's great mercy, we should respond in our lives by acting as living sacrifices, which would have sounded very odd to Paul's first audience. Because whether they were Romans, watching the way that the, the Roman pagan religions of Zeus and, and all the rest sacrificed animals by killing them, or, or if they looked at the Jewish faith and saw the Jewish sacrificial system where sacrifices were killed. Sacrifices die. But Paul's saying, no, your right and proper kind of worship is to become a living sacrifice. So what's, what's he talking about? It's the sacrifice of your judgment of what's true and what's real and what's most valuable. You sacrifice that to accept what's true from Jesus. You become a living sacrifice, daily giving up what you want or desire or think is best in order to submit your life to Jesus. And he continues. How do you go about doing that? Verse 2, he says, Do not conform... To the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul's first exhortation is a negative one. He says, don't conform to what everybody else is doing around you, because the values that were operative in Paul's day, just as in our day, are contrary. They go against the grain of what Jesus is going to call us to do. The values of the world around us are just different. They're different, and they're contrary. They're it's not, it's not as easy to just say, well, you know, hey, your truth is your truth. You do you, bro, because... If we simply give in to that, we're going to be moving in the opposite direction of where Jesus calls us to go. So that's the first thing Paul says is you can't simply go along. You can't go with the grain. You have to go against the grain. So don't conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, he directs his readers to be transformed. And here's the root of that same word. So this is a, a modification of the, the Greek word. It's a passive verb. It's be transformed. It's you'll notice it looks a little bit like metamorphosize, like our word metamorphosize. This is where the word comes from. So be metamorphosized, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So he's directing people to be transformed. How? By the power of God's spirit that works inside of us, changing us from the inside out, transforming our values, our deepest commitments, and aligning them with God's deepest values and commitment. commitment. So how does that happen practically? What does that look like? Well, I think what Paul's getting at here is that we, as followers of Jesus, in order to align our values with Jesus' values, have to enter into regular practices and habits that conform us, that refocus us 
towards what Jesus' values and beliefs and ways of seeing the world are. That we have to continue coming back to this over and over and over again. For Paul in the early church, establishing patterns and disciplines and orders and structures that helped people to renew their mind, to reset their way of thinking about the world, because the world's way of thinking and the world's values were very different. The values that people brought into the church from their families or their stories or where they came from were very different. And Paul said, that doesn't change overnight. You've got to progressively, over time, renew your way of thinking to realign to Jesus's way of thinking. I think this is is a misnomer, a misunderstanding about the way that faith works. We we seem to think somehow that, that by coming to faith, God will instantaneously transform us to want and desire and pursue the things that Jesus taught about. Even if we've been people who are self-centered or, or, or focused on our identity and other things that are not healthy, that, that somehow if we've done that for our whole lives, for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, that somehow believing in Jesus is poof, going to change us overnight. And I just don't see that. I, I don't see that at work in my own life. I don't see that at work in other people's lives. And I don't see it in the scriptures. There's stories of people who experience radical change and transformation, but almost always it's a process. Even Paul himself was radically transformed by an encounter with the risen Jesus. Paul was a person who was so zealous about his Jewish faith that he saw, he saw Christianity as a sect, as a, as a cult that he needed to stamp out, that it was his his duty to go and and arrest and persecute Christians. And he had an encounter with the risen Jesus who said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I have a plan for your life that's different. You're going to follow me and you're going to take the good news of the kingdom of God to the non-Jewish world. And, and, And yes, that encounter changed Paul's life. But do you know what Paul did? He went into Damascus and he was he was gone for three years reorienting his life around this new way of being. Even Paul, who had a dramatic living encounter with the risen Jesus, didn't change overnight. So why should we expect that we would be any different? The process of change takes time. The Bible seems to set the expectation that our transformation is a lifelong process. It's something that we will pursue, that the renewing of our mind is something that we will continuously do, and that in different seasons, God will meet us by His Spirit and change us, transform us as we pursue Him, as we engage in practices, habits, behaviors that align our lives increasingly with the priorities of God as set forth in the Scriptures. And then as we do that, Our values begin slowly, steadily to change. And we're changed from the inside out. And our behaviors begin to change, not because we're trying to meet some standard or trying to do what God wants us to do, but because we're changing. We're beginning to value the things that Jesus valued, that Jesus values. And so at New Denver, as a community of faith, we've identified five values that we've set forth as a community to say, we want to stay focused on these five things because we think we will best accomplish our mission of leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our mission, 
to lead people increasingly towards a relationship with Jesus so that over time, their values, their beliefs, their lives are transformed by him to be more like him. And we think there's five things, five things. Effectiveness is found in simplicity and focus. We focus on five things that are going to help us do that better. One of them is community. We talked about this last week. Norton talked about the value of needing one another. You cannot pursue following the way of Jesus on your own for very long. Over time, you need people who value the same things, who believe the same things, and will reinforce those things in your life. And the second of those that I've been talking about today is the value of practices. We need regular practices that will focus us. Here's how we say this. Here's how we state the value of practices in New Denver. The practices, rhythms, and habits of our lives shape what we love, what we worship, and what we value. In each season of our lives, God uses intentional practices to form us into the kind of people who follow Jesus and live out his kingdom purposes. And with each value, we have a question to interrogate whether or not we are individually living out this value and whether or not we're living it out communally. And the question that goes with practices, the value of practices is this. Are we pursuing practices that form us into a community of Jesus followers? So that's the question for you and for me today. Are we pursuing practices that form us individually and communally into a community of Jesus followers? What does that look like? What does it mean? How do we pursue these practices? Well, that's an entire series. We could take weeks talking about it. In fact, we have. If you've been around New Denver for very long, you know we have talked about this value of practices and what some of those are, how we go about pursuing these practices that shape and form us. The beginning of the pandemic and the beginning of 2020, we went through a series called Common Practices. It's still on our website. If, if you want to go back and listen to it again, if you were here during that time, or if you weren't, there, if you weren't here then and you, you want to learn more about what are some of those practices, that's a great place to start. It's based on a book <clears throat> called Common Rule by a guy named Justin Whitmell Early, which is also a great resource to pick up. Um, he just came out with a new one called Habits of the Household, Practices and habits for families to engage in because these practices are, are, are formative to shape and to mold us um, at our deepest values to change and transform us. There's a lot of different places to start. We're, we're, um, we have an opportunity this week even to engage in learning about practices and habits. Our church network, Ecclesia, is doing an online uh, series of lectures from a guy named Rich Villotas who's from New York. Uh, so this Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 6 p.m., there's information on our website. If you want to sit and listen to someone talk about how do we shape and form these habits that transform us, it'd be a great opportunity to start. But the most important thing is to start somewhere. And we all have to start from where we are. So if this is new to you today, if the concept of starting or shaping habits or behaviors or disciplines, whatever you want to call them, that form you, into a person who follows the way of Jesus. If that's new, then start simply. Start somewhere really, really easy. But if you've been doing this for a while, maybe challenge yourself to take on a new habit. The goal is not to take on 10 things and try to accomplish them all, but just to do something simply to begin. Move. This is a lifelong journey. So take a step, take a change. And these don't have to be 
super complex or spiritual things. One of the, you know, one of the practices that, that Justin talks about in his book is the practice of, of learning to value people by turning your phone off when you sit down at a meal or, or when you go uh, to meet with someone for coffee or spend time. Turn your phone off so you, t- you, you practice showing them that they're more valuable than, than someone anywhere else. I have a practice that I do regularly. My, my wife, Kate, and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage this year. And, yep, yep, she is a long-suffering woman. You can, you can um, tell her that later. But for 20 years, almost every day, and I'm not perfect, almost every day, I make the bed. Why do I make the bed, you ask? Well, it's not because I value orderliness and structure or that I like a pretty bed It's not that I feel a sense of order or structure when I do that. In fact, the opposite is true. I could care less. I think it's the biggest waste of energy because I'm just going to get back in that bed in a few hours. I mean, I get cleaning up when people are coming over or going to be at the house. But but in general, I don't value making the bed. But my wife does. My wife loves structure and order and for things to be put together. And a made bed just makes her feel a little bit more at peace. And 20 years ago, I made a commitment to God in front of friends to love my wife as Christ loved the church, to put her values and her interests, her desires above my own. How do I remind myself of that? Every day I make the bed. And it's just a simple practice, a simple reminder that reorients me, not around my own selfishness or my my own desires, but around the commitments that I've made in following the way of Jesus and my marriage. So whatever it is for you, these simple, everyday, common practices that we do can shape and can form us from the inside out to become the people that God created us to be. So start somewhere. Start simple. But start by doing something. As we close, let's pray that God would meet us in these practices as we continue to become the people he's called us to be. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you have made transformation possible, that we are not stuck, that our futures are not predetermined or um, deterministic, but that you give us agency um, to choose and to decide what's most valuable, what's most important. Give us the humility and the courage to submit our wants and our desires, our sense of what's most important to you, and to believe and to trust with the common everyday practices of our lives, that you really do lead us to an abundant, flourishing, overflowing kind of life that begins now and leads to eternity. Meet us in these practices, Lord, and transform us from the inside out that day by day, moment by moment, we might become more and more like your son Jesus, that we might live your life in the lives where you've placed us and be the people that you've called us to be. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.